please be seated for our Bible reading. The Bible reading this morning is taken from Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was still and silent. I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, I said, let me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands a mere breath. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. You chastise mortals in punishment for sin, consuming like a moth what is dear to them. Surely everyone is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace at my tears, for I am your passing guest, an alien like all my forebears. Turn your gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is the word of the Lord. Do you join me in a short prayer before I begin? Lord, as we look at our world today, there is much to lament. Help us not be overwhelmed, but rather seek your perspective and catch hold of the hope that you bring through your son Jesus and the victory he has won for all who put their faith in him. Amen. Well, today we conclude our short series on Psalms of Lament, which Ian began by showing that the Psalms were generally structured under the following headings. One, an opening address. Two, a lament or description of the problem. Three, an urgent request to God for help. And four, a statement of confidence in God. In our case, Psalm 39 begins with David explaining... I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin and put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked 
are around, showing there that he didn't want to complain about his difficulties in case it gave the wicked an opportunity to sneer at God and claim that he couldn't take care of his people. How wise of David to try to curb his tongue and how topical. We've seen in the media recently what damage the unbridled tongue can do. James also warns in chapter 3 verse 5 of his letter, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And in verse 8, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So David tried to keep silent but reached a point finally when he could no longer restrain himself, reminding me of the words of the Spanish philosopher Unamuno as he railed against the injustices he saw in his own country. He said, sometimes to remain silent is to lie. In verse 4 of Psalm 39, the address and lament are rolled into one. The heading for laments would normally be, how long, O Lord? Meaning, how long will this trouble go on? You know, how long do I have to endure it? But here, the cry is distilled to its very essence. How long have I got? How long have I got to live? That's a question we rarely trouble ourselves with, isn't it? Particularly when we're young, but perhaps this last year has brought home to us the fragility of life. I remember, though, when looking at the news reports first from Italy in February 2020, especially Bergamo in the north where Chris and I had been the year before, we obviously felt for those who were suffering and particularly I think for the families unable to attend funerals of their loved ones. In fact, they weren't really funerals at all, they were just peremptory burials. The public services were so overwhelmed. Yet even then, I recall that it all felt strangely distant. You know, it's Italy, it's Bergamo, beautiful old town, but mainly with elderly folk living in tenements in narrow streets. It's different for us here. You know, we'll be okay. Never did we think that in a few months the British Isles would be in a worse position. Soon, we realised, didn't we, the truth of verse 5. Our life is like a handbreadth compared to the eternal God. And in verse 6, in a world where time is seen as a measure of activity, all our efforts seem to be in vain, especially where we work to amass wealth, which Pope Francis recently described as false superfluous security and then have to leave it to others. Our materialistic society produces people who might curl 
described recently as those who have a lot to live with and not a lot to live for. Psalm 39 contains a number of urgent pleas to God for help. Verse 8, save me from my transgressions. A fear of dying unforgiven, perhaps a sudden death before the last rites can be administered, or fear of dying alone, which has been the fate of so many uh, COVID victims, and which I remember mum was particularly concerned about, and why I felt privileged to be with her as she breathed her last breath. But David's fear was of circumstances that would enable non-believers to scoff at a man whose faith did not give him security and peace in the face of death. From verse 10, it appears that David was suffering so many difficulties that he felt as if he was being hit by God. In his recent sermon, Mike Curl said that some see God as a stern judge, ready to smite that wonderful biblical word, ready to smite anyone who sins by falling short of his perfect standards. It was as if his finger hovers over the heavenly computer's smite button, which he never hesitates to press at the merest slip. But of course, as Mike explained, God is not in the smiting business. (laughs) He's in the salvation business. And of course, for us, that inevitably involves, as we see in verse 11, rebuke and discipline. But as Hebrews tells us, God disciplines those he loves. And I discovered a new perspective on difficulty this week as I was reminded of Judges 3, first few verses there, where God purposely left giants, for us read problems and difficulties, in the promised land so that young Israelites who had no experience of war could learn faith and obedience in conquering their enemies. Harking back to the digital imagery of our modern age, we might say that in verse 12, David asks God to unmute himself and listen to my prayer, my cry for help, and be not deaf to my weeping. Reminding us that sometimes tears alone can constitute a prayer. And as I learnt from a recent online seminar given by Dr. Sarah Williams, even circumstances can be a prayer that God will answer. She told the story of the still little known, undeservedly little known, 
19th century reformer Josephine Butler, who began her remarkable journey when, after her six-year-old daughter died in a fall, she wanted to seek out people who were worse off than her. So she felt drawn to the dark and dingy oakum vault in Liverpool where 200 poor women and children were picking old rope, which they turned into oakum, which they used for caulking the wooden ships at the time. And at that moment, in the purpose of this middle-class visitor, God heard the desperate prayer of the outcast. Because many of the women were prostitutes, objects of lust and scorn, And as Butler descended into that miserable basement workhouse, she plunged into human misery to show that she understood because she had suffered too. She wrote later that she felt a connection between her own grief and the grief of others whose inarticulate moan she was able to turn into intercession and eventually political action, a 16-year struggle to have the Contagious Diseases Acts, 1864-9, repealed. Briefly, these were seen as sanitary laws to combat an epidemic of sexual disease in the armed forces at that time. These statutes provided that any woman in the garrison towns and certain ports whom police suspected of being a prostitute could be subjected to compulsory examination and then obliged to prove that she was virtuous. Men were excused the legislators thinking, quite rightly, that men would object. But those men could easily have joined David in his lament to God in verse 13, look away from me. In other words, please can you hit the pause button on your scrutiny of my life, avert your look of wrath, Lift your finger from the smite button so that I can rejoice again, care and guilt-free, before I die. It's a rather sad picture of a melancholy trudge through life towards its inevitable and sorrowful conclusion. But this sadness is countered by the statement of confidence, the only one we have in this psalm, which we find in verse 7, where in the midst of all his troubles and despondency, what does David look for? He says to God, my hope is in you. What does hope mean for us in times of difficulty? Well, Amy 
told us a lovely story last week about hope when Moses' mother placed her tiny baby in a basket and set him adrift on the River Nile, trusting in God to look after him. There is a modern parallel in the kinder transport and Nicholas Winton, who joined his friend in Prague just weeks before the outbreak of World War II to finance and organise the evacuation of 669 mainly Jewish children to safety in England. Their parents trusted this unknown English banker with their precious children, hoping they would be safe, and they were. And it's an uplifting story of hope in the face of evil. You can Google Nicholas Winton and find more details. But ultimately, for us, hope is a belief in a better future, isn't it? And since for the Christian, the future is heaven, I pray that our faith will be fanned into flame to enable us to usher into the darkness of this suffering world the love and light of Jesus towards whom and with whom we all journey. Amen.